Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek, episode 146. I'm Andrew. I'm Joseph. Waiting on you, sunshine. Baruch, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, and I'm Baruch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good Lord. This we're off to start to April Fool's recording. No, no kidding. All right, so this week we are going to be talking about Ready Player One, the brand new Steven Spielberg-directed film based on the Ernest Cline book of the same name. So, I'm excited about this. Yeah, so dude, you and I have both... Um, read, the, read the book, or specifically, you and I have both listened to the audiobook, and I have also read the book before that. Uh, Baruch, you're coming to this pretty well blind. You said, from what we were talking about just before we started here, you've read the first like chapter or so. Yeah, you, uh, I've read like I read at least the first chapter, maybe even two. Uh, but I do that with like a lot, a lot of the books. I really enjoy. I go, wow, this is really good. I'm going to put this down and never touch it again. <laughs> no, I know the feeling. But uh, so so we brought Baruch on because, dude, you were saying it, and I and I wholeheartedly agree. There's some mental gym gymnastics involved with with the book and the movie so we kind of wanted to get baruch in here as a little bit more of a fresh opinion on, on the film itself yes yeah, squaring that circle between watching a film and having read the book is is was pretty tough i was in the movie kind of going oh this is going to be tough because i've always been that person who goes you can't judge i, I never believed the 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 mantra of all oh, the book was better because like they're two different mediums and you have to do different things but watching the movie you probably felt the same way is we were about 20 minutes into the film and you're going whoa this is really different and it was almost as and when i finished the movie when i walked out of it i remember thinking to myself this is almost like Someone went up to Ernest Klein and said, this book is great. Everything in this book is great. But just change the way it all happened. Because the major plot points are still there, but the way they're executed is almost entirely different. Yeah, and I would... And it was, it was a tough thing to get through as someone who just finished the book. Yeah, now, th again, I've, I read the book probably almost four years ago. Um, and in I've got very fond feelings towards this book because it's one of the first books I read when I basically got so angry at George R. R. Martin because he writes shit that's too long and I don't care about anymore. Right. This, this was like the first book I read that was like the short 250, 350 page fiction and I just absolutely like loved this. This is it's one of the most satisfying endings to a book I've ever read. Um, having said that, like I was excited for this, but yeah, I, I think you're right in a lot of ways. I think they went up to Ernest Klein and said, we love the book, we love everything about it. There's no way in hell we're getting all the rights to everything you've got in here. Right, I imagine that was part of it too. Rewrite this, keep the tone and and feeling the same. You know, hit the major plot points, but but make it fit into a two and a half hour film. Which, by the way, like I didn't realize how long the movie was going to be until I was like was sitting long. until I was sitting in the theater, and I'm going, oh, that's that's a bad that's a bad thing. Two hours and twenty <laughs> minutes is a long runtime for this. But did did it feel? I, I, I'll throw this out to both of you. Did it feel like the movie, even with two hours and 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is? It felt rushed. Did you, gonna, did you feel like that? I'm going to say yes, because I'm not super familiar with the book, but they brought up the high five at, at four mm -hmm. points throughout the movie. They brought, they bring, or at least four points, they bring that up, and I go, that that should have been developed more because people are holding up signs that say the high five, and I know that that's important in the book because I uh, what's the I forget the main character's name. Uh, Parsible or way Parsible. Uh, I think Parsible wants to give high fives at the beginning of the movie, and I'm assuming that's where they get that from. So like, I'm looking at it going that that's a plot point that that was just removed, I believe. But I hope someone can correct me on that. No, you're you're kind of right. So the high five refers to the the top five on the scoreboard. Oh, okay. So there you go. Well, specifically the original top five minus original the six. Yeah. 
and and that's what, and you're right it's just there were some things where you're like boy this is moving really fast and the and the moments of character development that occur uh, if this were maybe one weakness of the movie was that they just didn't feel uh I don't know, genuine, or they felt kind of tacked on. Like, for instance, early in the in the movie, for me, when Parsifal kind of confesses his undying undying love for Artemis, it felt it was it was you're watching it going, um, that's abrupt. Even though it does it does play into later on in in the story, I, I it was one of those moments in the story or in the movie where I went, oh, this is this is rushed. Well, yeah, it, it works out better in the in the in the book because you know they kind of time lapse a bunch of stuff there yep so that's what surprises i was expecting a couple montages we didn't get a montage even rocky had a I was, montage i was like especially in the movie <laughs> especially in a movie that's so 80s heavy referential mm-hmm. um no i i agree so overall guys what what were your thoughts about the film though like how did you enjoy it did you not I want to start with Brooke because I want to know what he thought as someone who hadn't read the book walking out of this film. Because we saw it together. And you yeah. had some gripes with it, but there was a lot of it you did like. Yeah, I, I walked away from it okay? actually enjoying it. I, I know this movie is going to make a lot of money. And uh, for me, I can really gauge how, how good a film is, how well, how easy it is for me to recommend it to people. I can recommend this movie to a lot of people, like a lot more than I expected I was going to be able to. A part of me was thinking there's going to be a little bit of a niche BS going on here, but no. I, th- I really think this is once again something you could just give out to anybody be like hey you want a fun two hours to waste go watch uh ready player one but uh i did want to say joseph did you tell or uh yeah joseph did you did you notice the gentleman sitting to my right when we were watching the movie did you notice how how into the movie he was i didn't notice the guy to our right but i actually noticed a couple to our left was were there what- also really into it baruch was there a dude jerking off next to you is that what you're trying to tell us <laughs> he was practically jerking off he was like mentally jerking off because every time something came up he goes oh i remember that oh that was so cool oh and he like thought he was his kid was like five and he's like oh you'll know what that is in 20 years and like <laughs> <laughs> i was enjoying it because he was enjoying it like that <laughs> that's that is cool you know yeah, they're, they're actually the audience has had like a lot of like real audible responses to some of the stuff that was going on there was a kid in the back of the theater and I, there was like su- things happening that I didn't know what that was going on but that kid in the back was noticing shit that we didn't understand because I don't, there was like a, someone came on screen and he goes oh man like <laughs> yeah I remember that <laughs> I was really confused because <laughs> there's like a re- well like, he also re- had the same reaction to the um to uh Artemis's birthmark yeah. so the, the, <laughs> he was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> he's really excited about a birthmark yeah. <laughs> so overall i i really enjoyed it i mean it's not my favorite film i don't i'd probably go back to watch it in theaters but uh, uh I, i'm gonna take my girlfriend to go watch it so there you go that that should say something okay dude what about you yeah, for my money, i would say i thought this was a pretty enjoyable film uh just just looking at it as a standalone movie i think it was a lot of fun uh there were a few things I had a problem with it. I did think if, if even for a two and a half hour runtime, it did feel really rushed. Uh, that was kind of a, a knock on it. And then the other minor knock I have on it was the kind of visual sensory overload mm-hmm. that you got in a lot of the Oasis sequences. Because there's so much going on in the background, and you know this is kind of one of these heavy referential films. Right. And 
there's stuff you want to try and catch in the background. So there's so much you can miss and not see, even though it doesn't play into the plot directly. It's just, it's just stuff you want to pick up. Like we're watching, oh, the Battletoads, the guys from Halo, or there's Wolverine, or you know whatever. Like you're looking for that, and you're not paying attention to the film. I think that's a minor knock, but that was one of the things um, that kind of got to me. Is it was like this is a hard movie in certain times to focus on what's happening. You know what? I'm really glad you brought that up real quick. I'm really sorry. I was actually kind of expecting to see a Gears of War re- Gears of War reference in this film. We got one with a Lancer, but I remember getting a little disappointed, and I don't know why I got a little disappointed at that. Well, I might have saw an insight onto that. Yeah, so I might have some insight onto that. So when I was reading the book, and this is where I want to do a, a, a quick comparison, is the book was pushing the right referential buttons for me, and it was one of those things I was afraid of going into it, was like, oh, this might not hit all the right buttons, and I might get bored with it. Right. But that was because the book was touching on not just video games, but also movies and music and, and... Books and music and, and television and anime and all that stuff. So you got, there was a, almost something for everyone. And for me, the book really hit the right button when they brought in Ultraman. And we were talking about, I was super disappointed, although I understood why Ultraman made no appearance in the movie. Mm-hmm. But like, man, did I love how prominently he featured in in the book and so to your point is most of the references in this movie were mostly but not exclusively video game references Mm-hmm. And I was a little disappointed that we didn't see enough movie and uh, film enough. and music references. We only got those as quote unquote Easter eggs, like the Rush twenty one twelve posters in the background and stuff like that. Yeah, enough. Uh, there was mainly video game. Yeah, it was just like all video game Easter eggs or uh, references throughout the references. entire thing. So the only thing that I I was kind of a bit of a head scratcher was because the book focused on the eighties because the character of Holiday built the game around knowledge of the 80s and i noticed a couple critics pointing this out that the heavy references to the 80s seemed to be out of place because they didn't have that grounding in the egg hunt being grounded in knowledge of the 80s it was just knowledge of holiday and it just it didn't quite flow so it was the one thing i was kind of disappointed is if you grounded it a bit more in the 80s i'm not sure how you would do it well i I understand why they may have not so, it so would have made I, some of the references make a little more sense. So I think part of that is the fact that they focused on Halliday as a person, whereas mm-hmm. in the book it was Halliday's interests, mm-hmm. which were focused in the 80s. And so I think that's part of where that went went off. No, I agree. I actually really, probably my biggest complaint about the, the, the film was the fact that they lacked a lot of the non-video game references. Like, especially, I mean, music especially plays a huge role in this mm-hmm. um i mean film film to an extent yeah honestly given given the part of the third the third the crystal getting the crystal key i think music probably played a more significant specific um role in it especially that rush album right there was the um, rush album yeah the other thing i didn't care for as much was little things that were changed that that didn't really need to be changed mm-hmm. or like that were omitted um the the two things that really come to mind for me one is um they really they really changed um artemis's kind of body type yeah you know in, in the book she described as being kind of short and not like heavy but like not like super thin both right 
in real life and, and yeah and maybe a little bit more than average but like she's she's you know kind of kind of the thin alien looking a traditional nerd a traditional gamer like someone who actually spends more time playing video games than they should go running is that is, i'm yeah I know that's, that's probably a mean way of putting it no i don't think that's an incorrect assessment um and then the one thing i that i, I really actually kind of missed was they constantly describe h as having this cheshire cat smile oh yes you're and right. i was i was really looking forward to seeing how they did that and they never did and i was disappointed but right. you know i'll be honest overall it's a really enjoyable movie i think i think one of the things that made me realize is how dense how densely packed the book is right and then i had about about 20 to 30 minutes in i had to kind of mentally check myself and say there's they had to distill it down to kind of the the more fundamental plot points right and um because of that you know they're not going to get that 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 density the amount of references things like that so that's when i really started focusing on do they hit the overall feel and tone of the book and do they hit a lot of like the the appropriate major points and I really think they did, especially at the end when Halliday is talking to Parzival alone. Mm-hmm. And he basically talks about living in the real world. Right. Um, I think they really like that was that was dead on, like right on the nose uh, in, for, for me. So I, I enjoyed the film. So I would say just, just to build a little bit on the Artemis thing, because I thought a lot about her. And was, there's two things about her character in particular. One about her as compared to her character in the book is the character wasn't a bad character per se. But at points she, she shows up re- kind of sporadically. She's not an omnipresent character throughout the book and her first appearance i felt was fairly inauspicious because it it, to me it felt like it just ground the plot to a near halt and we've got to kind of screw around with these two characters and then when they they try and build up their relationship it kind of worked and at the end of the book i i was interested in her character but boy she was a pain in the ass at that last that last third of the book or last quarter of that book i thought the character just got kind of snipey what i liked about the movie is that the movie gave her more stuff to do yeah and kind of softened the character up a little bit made her maybe made her a little too friendly at points that took me aback but i, I liked her a little bit more however and that it answered kind of one of those questions i had in the book that was like ah that didn't work but they fixed it here but they kind of rose another problem was the Samantha character. Well, one, they kind of pushed all the characters together in the same geographical location, which felt a little too convenient. Right. I just kind of had to let that go. But in the movie, the whole bit about the about Samantha being part of the resistance and then it just getting dropped in 15 minutes, I felt was kind of like why did they even do that she's like welcome to the resistance wade here we are and then it's like oh no we're not doing that we're done um I'm, and then i'm gonna I actually, get myself i actually arrested. i actually wonder if that like welcome to the resistance thing was a reference yeah. we just didn't catch that's what i think maybe i th- i, I want to say it's I, al- I want to f- it almost feels like a terminator reference yep <laughs> you know okay maybe but i also thought it might have been a trump reference that's just but that's just me putting my my political hat uh Nevertheless, beyond that, when they just kind of drop it and she gets captured by the uh, by IOI and she gets sent into the loyalty center, I would maybe have to go back and watch it again. But I was like, she had no plan. Like, no. So when Wade in the book, when Wade went in there, he had a plan. And I understand. I thought it was a good idea putting her in there to give her something to do to knock down the orb rather than have a Johnny Five do it. I was like, okay, you know what? For the movie, give giving more of the human characters more stuff to do is fine. But it was like she had no plan. <laughs> she was like, you know, she she throws the door behind him. She's like, duh, uh, you'll you'll thank me later or some stupid line like that. Some of those like cheesy Spielberg lines. And then it was right. like, what the hell is she thinking? <laughs> 
was that was a, a moment of, of kind of head scratch for me. Other than that, um, Og, I, I want to briefly talk about Simon Pegg as Og and, and what your opinion on him was in the movie as the curator versus the great and mighty Og he was in the book. So I want to ask, I guess I'll ask Baruch first. Did you like Simon Pegg as as Og and, and how, how he was portrayed? See, it's a little bit of a weird question because yes, I love Simon Pegg. I love yeah, Simon Pegg too. I, I like I liked the character. I liked the robot guy. I thought it was really sweet. The curator, I believe it was called. Uh, I liked yeah. that um, because I have no frame of reference to to either hate on that or anything. So for me, I, li- I was like, yeah, I like I like that. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a convenient story plot, but yeah, I get it. our story uh, piece. But I get yeah, plot it. device. Plot device. So yeah, I, I, I'm fine with it. I, I I didn't really hate on it. Andrew, what do you think? So that's why I want to ask Baruch first, and I want to ask someone <laughs> like you who read the book because they're so different. They they are. Um, I mean, I liked Simon Pegg. I was actually very impressed with his his American accent. Like there was there was no hint right. of an, of a of a British accent there at all Brits do that so well it's infuriating especially so yeah so much better than the americans do because we Mm -hmm. just do we just do it so shitty we can't do anything no no, we really can't um i i mean i enjoyed it again it's certainly different than the book um i I mean i always kind of liked the the book og because he's a little bit more uh wozniak right exactly i I mean really and, and ernest klein attempts to kind of convince you otherwise but really miserably fails to do so right. really the the relationship between um the the two the two characters uh halliday and 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 moro really it really is a jobs wozniak relationship yep um to, and basically both are like dialed to 11 it's really kind of interesting and i kind of miss the the wozniak portion of that i mean the halliday really is you know like i said jobs dialed up to 11 yeah but yeah i, mean, I really enjoyed simon Pegg. it was just different yeah so i would say that the, the, this og and i had to think about it for a second i actually actually liked this Og a little bit better than the Ogden Morrow from the book. And I'll tell you why, and maybe Andrew and uh, can maybe set me straight on it, is that part of me wanted to see the great and powerful Og in the Oasis just because I enjoyed that description of that character. And I wanted to see more of that. I enjoyed that character, and I thought, I wish we had more Simon Pegg in the movie because I thought he was very good. But to me, in the book, the idea that you had this one dude who was so close to Halliday have this ultra-powerful avatar who, in the uh, disco sequence, wipes out like all the Sixers in in the blink of an eye and then goes back to spinning records, which I thought was just kind of funny in and of itself because in the book, the guy has to be somewhere in his late 60s and he's DJing like... like (laughs) he's 15 so i thought that was funny i just wanted to see that yeah um it might have been too reminiscent of the dj scene in tron legacy but you know what i like that too so i wanted to see it but later in the book when it becomes clear that og has all this ability all these abilities and that ioi is so nefarious they've gone as far as mass murder you'd think to me and maybe andrew can set me straight on this og would have intervened at that point if the dudes are, if, if IOI is killing people, Og would intervene. In this, in this version, it you get no hint that Og is anything but the curator, and he, and that his ability to intervene only extended as far as the the, the one up he gives, the extra life he gives to Parsifal in the journals, which I thought was an interesting addition. So for me, I I did like the way they did the Og character, a uh, Simon Pegg, Og tomorrow, and I just wish we got more of 
him because I thought there could have been a lot more character stuff to, to go on. Yeah. So when you're talking about like the, the mass murder, you're talking about the um, when they wipe out all the avatars when they blow up the stacks. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think I think that kind of I, think, well, so, I so, believe it's kind of answered in the movie. Well, no, so that, that... it's answered in the movie better than it is in the book. The reason why, and again, Brooke wouldn't know this, is Parsifal inter- infiltrates IOI and then gets out, and then he meets up with Og and the other high, f- the surviving High Five in Oregon, because they're all dispersed throughout the the planet. They're in America. They're dispersed throughout America, and they're, the other two are in Japan. And they all kind of come together. In this movie, they just kind of shove them into Columbus. And I was like, okay, fine, just grant that. But there's that point where I was going through the book going, wait, Parsifal's already sent out all the information about IOI blowing people up in stacks and uh, throwing Daito out of a building. You know, granted, it wasn't solved in a court of law, but he would have, I, I presumed he would have shown Ogden Morrow, and Morrow would have went, oh, 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 okay, I got to do something about this. And that was my only kind of big question mark from the book, whereas that question mark never occurs in the movie, and I, I think I appreciated that more, is the the way they handled that character i just wish i saw more of that character in the movie yeah see i never I, I never got the impression that that it got to og any faster than it got okay. to anyone else that 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 information okay. went out any i mean like og shows up kind of brings them all together right basically to finish out the hunt and, and i and i can un- understand why they didn't have og like helping out trying to f- finish with the egg right. um yeah and, and you know, now that you say that, maybe that's just a plot hole in the book that I, yeah, I, right. that, 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 that just never struck yeah. me um, before. No, it was just kind of a, it wasn't a, a, a lethal problem for me in the book. Oh, no, no, It was just a question not. mark. Right, and no. I, and I thought they solved it in the, in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that never, honestly, that, that had never really occurred to me before. Um, yeah, I, I said, I like, I like Og in, in, in both. They're just, they're different. I, I probably like the, uh, the book version a little bit better. Yeah. So, hey, so what did you think of, um, of TJ Miller as IROC in this? Cause in, in the book, IROC is kind of a, a throwaway character after the first, like two or three chapters, but I, and I'm not necessarily a particularly big TJ Miller fan, but the fact right. that he just, he, he kind of like typified to me, like world of Warcraft gamers that are like, they have these like characters that look crazy badass, And then they're like talking about like how he's got a crick in his neck and stuff. I want Baruch to take that question first. Well, originally I didn't like it. <laughs> If I can be completely honest, originally I, I was like, "Oh God damn it, this is." Because I love T.J. Miller, I do. Uh, but it was—I don't know what it was. But when he started talking, I was like, "Oh God damn it, this is." I, I felt kind of cringy originally, but it's because of exactly what you just said. It, it's perfectly reminiscent of actually going online and you're playing as these big, strong, beefy-ass monster characters, and we look badass, and we're talking about like, "Dude, I took a dump and I'm bleeding out my anus. Someone please help!" Like, but, but like, we're not doing anything about it. We're just sitting there. I don't know it was it was i guess hit home hit home i guess that's what it was but i didn't like it yeah i mean it concept but, conceptually it kind of reminded me of like the south park episode where they decided to try and destroy the, the troll on world of warcraft yes <laughs> yes <laughs> so i will say this uh you're right i rock was this kind of throwaway character and i really did appreciate that the movie gave more human characters stuff to do because yeah. in the book it's really all Percival all the time yes and if, if you're not into that you're gonna have a hard time getting through the book but uh in the movie they gave a lot of people a lot of stuff to do and I kind of liked what they did with IROC I mean I'm like kind of lukewarm on TJ Miller I think there's certain things I, I I didn't watch him in Silicon Valley but I liked him in 
Deadpool. Yeah. Um, I was at one of his shows when he came here to San Diego. Uh, I was. That's kind of a funny story because his flight was so delayed, like by like six hours. He thought he was going to get to San Diego in the middle of the day and have time to get set up and do the show later in the evening. The flight was so delayed, he landed and then was drove driven from the airport to the club and then went right on stage. <laughs> like it was that crazy. Um, I will say that I actually really enjoyed IROC. I did think he was genuinely funny. Uh, even though I thought the movie, for the most part, I thought the laughs, the kind of humor in the movie was kind of... Uh, just wasn't there for me because i didn't think it was very funny except for the chucky sequence which <laughs> legit got me like baruch was right next to me when that happened when that guy goes oh my god it's fucking chucky and chucky starts <laughs> killing everyone there were, i lost it there were a couple I legit of lost it i will say there's a couple of really good ones i thought the chucky one was good i thought the room the war room of all the sixers trying to fight off the things from um the shining from the shining where it's just that them like me. yeah that got me <laughs> and the one that our friend kyle loved and I enjoyed too was the uh, the chest burster and after she like <laughs> yeah and after she like chews her way out of it where she just got like the arm puppet and just kind of like mouths the arm puppet at him a couple times yeah. that part I thought was fucking hysterical yeah so yeah I, I thought I thought the IROC stuff he does stuff in the main battle towards the end that I really did enjoy and I, I do like the line where they're going to use the cataclyst and he goes hold on dude I got like 10 years worth of stuff on this avatar <laughs> right it really got me and really also did you did you see how much stuff like poured out of him when he died yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I really I really did like that so yeah the IROC was just kind of in the book is just some kind of teenager who sells him out and he never reappears again and in this one he's kind of a present a, a presence a good comic relief and i liked it i also like the character design i thought that was pretty cool yeah oh yeah dude and, Skull, and the stuff the about skulls the crink in his neck is uh, just the fact that he just kept going back to it oh, i think really the, when, when he's like how are we doing i was like i think i'm gonna need therapy and you're like and for a moment you're like what and you're like oh god he's still talking about his neck yeah i know i love it um yeah so overall i thought i'm trying to think of, oh so i was curious what did we think of the way they changed not so much the way they changed the gates but just how what the gates were so this is something i i, I wondered about in the book and again it's something that was a question mark and not fatal to me with the way like online games work it doesn't take very long for you to find a secret or an easter egg in a game so part of the moments where i cut in the book where i had to kind of go with it was that it took five years to uncover a clue and i was like okay fine i'm just gonna go with that but what did you think of the challenges in the movie like kind of the race and then the shining and then playing adventure uh, real quick you real quick, I, I just wanted to i just wanted to butt in you said it takes pretty quickly to find easter eggs it took 20 years to find the the uh the easter like every exploit or every uh useful way to beat the first punch out the, the first punch out on the nes it took 20 years to get to find everything in that game so really I don't know, I, yeah it took 20 years um but so half a billion I, dollars wasn't on stake for that well right 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 oh okay i guess you're right. no but, it, but there's still speedrunners speedrunners still make makes a pretty good money uh right. if like so i i don't know I, I i'm gonna have to disagree with that one but sorry i just wanted to put that out all there. right so what did you think of the challenges then in do you in for this one the, the race the shining and it was an adventure because you you this is one of the reasons why i want brooke on on the uh on the podcast is because you have a good bit of knowledge of those atari 2600 uh games and those and that kind of 
history of early video games. What did you think of that? Wait, who, me, right? Baruch? Yeah, yeah, Baruch is sitting here scratching his oh, head. Yeah, are, we, yeah. are we talking about, do I know these things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the movie, when they were, like, scratching out all the classic video games, he's sitting there and he's correcting them. He's like, oh, there's actually four sword crests. That one yeah. didn't get released. But th- so he's, so that's one of the reasons why I brought him on. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, co- I like collecting Atari games. I, I still have my Atari 2600. Uh, but no, like, Adventure is actually one of my favorite, like, Atari games, but only because that was one of the first games I played in Atari. And then, like, reading more about game history, I found out that's the first Easter egg. That's the first time game designers were ever credited to be designers. And after that, everyone started going, like, yeah, we need to be credited for the work we're doing. And then E.T. was town to technically place as the second game to ever have an Easter egg, uh, even though being one of the worst games ever. Uh, um, no, I, I like the challenges. Sorry, I, you can get you start talking about Atari bullshit, and I'll keep going on that. But um, no, I liked it. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't. What was the question again? Let me, let me so, see. so did you think they were a little too easy? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Fucking Berg sounds like he's testing. Because because you were especially at the last challenge, and they're all going through the games we have to play, and like you've got these room of dweebs all trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, and Baruch in the first five seconds, he's like, "That's the first game with the Easter egg. Just find the Easter egg, and he wins." Like he did it in five seconds. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're talking about. I, you know, I like the first two challenges, but I, yeah, the the third one, the third, the the one where they're all playing. The Atari games. That bothered me. There you go. Thank you. Uh, I didn't like that because anyone who knows anything about the Atari 2600 knows Adventure's the first game with an Easter egg, and it only takes five to ten minutes to actually get to get to the Easter egg. So, I mean, if you have a room full of people thinking about how to, I don't know. I just to me that would have been solved really easily. I, that's that's not secret knowledge. This isn't like hidden from the public. You can pick up any book on video gaming history, and boom, that's chapter one. So I don't know. I didn't like that last challenge, and I, that actually did kind of bum me out. And then did they reference that there's three sword quests? Uh, I know on a technical basis, the fourth one was never released and never completed, but you know some people are still out there going like there is some data out there for the fourth one. So I don't know. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the I think challenges are very different. They are very different, and I think. That was one of those places where when they changed things, I was a little disappointed. Um, right. When I mentioned like the fact that they had rem- they were super video game focused, like the first chat, the, mm-hmm. the first challenge being the D and D challenge with the um, yep. Tomb of Horrors. Like oh, what that yeah, the, the first challenge in, D- in in the book is is he's got to go through the Tomb of Horrors, and at the end when he faces the uh, the Lich, yep. um, instead of fighting the Lich, it's a they they play each other in a game of Joust. Oh what? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I loved that. That was like. That was one of the things that really hooked me was not only like the references, but the mixing of references pretty seamlessly. Mm. Um, so, I mean, the race was fine. I think it was a little oversimplified. Um, yeah, but it was beautiful, though. I'll say this. It was a it was a beautiful sequence to watch. Absolutely. He, especially when he actually figures I it mean, out the... and he's going under the track. Yes. It looked yep. so good. No, 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 no. Don't get yeah. me wrong. And that was kind of after the after the race. That's kind of when I had to convince myself, like, all right, they're they're distilling this down a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think in oh general the the complexity of the the challenges disappointed me a little bit in part because they they were so oversimplified and they dropped a lot of good potential pop culture references. The other one, the second challenge being um finding the Captain Crunch whistle. Right. And they, like that's not like a huge like, you know, 80s reference it's really like a pop cultural like it's not not um it's not a video game or a movie reference, it's just some kind of something else from the 80s. And then Yep. I mean, Adventure played a, did play an important part in the third challenge, but yeah, there was more to it. They just weren't going to get Monty Python of the Holy Grail. I think that's really the issue is they didn't get Monty Python. Right, they weren't going to be able to do the movie stuff. Like, they kind of did, like, 
I remember going through the beginning of the book and he's describing Halliday's kind of final testimonial or final will and testament, the video. And it's like he's in a in a scene from Heather's and like Christian Slater, I think, and 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 uh, Winona Ryder are there. Like he describes them as being there. Right. And I'm going, how are we going to do that? You know, and then in the I think the second challenge, he has to go do he has to act out in the book. I mean, he has to act out the whole of War Games. Yep. And then he plays black tie or something or that was part of the third challenge i don't remember he had a bunch of those where he had to like act out monty python at the end and then act out war games and then he had to go through blade runner which i know andrew loved that part it was one of those buttons they push and go oh yes just just push that button uh <laughs> yeah so i was the same way with I was the same way with Ultraman. The fact that Ultraman was so prevalent in the end of the book, I was like, yes, yes. Although, although I really did, I did like, if they're going to have to replace Ultraman with something, I'm a pre I appreciate that they went with the the original Gundam wing. Yes, and and that when he came out, he struck the exact same pose from the anime, which was really important to me. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he just struck the pose, and then like the... Like yeah, yeah, I went along, and the fact that they kept Mechagodzilla. Like, I knew, I, I knew, been... I knew you were gonna get like a fucking a fucking rager for that one. Yeah, they, I mean, even though it didn't look right, <laughs> it, well, yes, it didn't <laughs> look right. It sure, it sure as shit didn't. It sure as shit didn't move right. <laughs> I didn't. I no, didn't like just... the look, but it was cool to see Mechagodzilla, dude. That was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I went. I went along. Yeah, I agree. The challenges were a little like meh, but. Again, overall, I think as a standalone movie, it was just fine. And even though we didn't get a lot of the movie challenges or any of the movie challenges in the book, did you at least appreciate the irony of having a shining challenge in, in the movie? Because the uh, for me, the irony was that, I, and I pointed out to Brooke, that the movie of Ready Player One is nothing like the book Ready Player <laughs> One. And the Shining movie is is almost nothing like the book movie. Right. Uh, the book itself. So I did appreciate that. And just kind of seeing The Shining again as someone who likes Kubrick and likes his movies and likes seeing people interact with, you know, what I, I literally thought at one point we were going to see a CGI Jack Nicholson. I really did. I, um, I was hoping to at least get the Here's Johnny line. Yeah, yeah, but I... Bet you they didn't, just couldn't afford it. Uh, I mean, what did you think of that? So, you so I, hang on, I just, I just looked it up real quick, Shining. though. Warner, Warner Brothers yeah. actually re released The Shining, so they actually own the rights oh, for that. Uh, explains why they were able to use it. Yeah, but I also that also doesn't explain why, like, why they didn't do the Here's Johnny or something. It does not, which they should have done. Um, I, I mean... Although when they were going through the uh, the hedge maze, all I kept thinking about was uh, the Simpsons, the sh the shinning. I don't know why. Yes, with Homer. Yeah, I don't know why that was what I kept thinking of, but it it was. Oh, it's toxic. Urge to kill rising. Yep. <laughs> so we were good with the shining. I I, I really yeah. liked that. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I liked the shining. I was I was fine with it. Okay, so I think we all kind of walked away happy with this movie. Yeah, and you know so. so this I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, the the critic score is seventy six, the audience score is seventy nine. So sounds pretty like sounds like everyone's pretty much in agreement on this. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it. I see that it is what about fifty three million dollars opening this weekend. Fifty three uh, domestic, one hundred and twenty eight internationally. Oh really? And then so total, it's about one hundred eighty one. Yep. I'm seeing one eighty one. Yeah. Well, My, so this is what got me is I was looking at the uh, the wiki and and box office mojo might have the same thing. The budget was one seventy. Five. Yeah, that's my only concern on this is that it's just 
the budget's so high that it's never going to catch up. Yeah. But I mean, if uh, if that if that foreign market you know is any indication, this thing may may you know not not suck like World of Warcraft, but it may pull a World of Warcraft where it just makes a a bucket full of money overseas. I am really curious to see what the general public here thinks about Ready Player One and and how the word of mouth. Uh, spreads for it and what people are kind of like in our generation maybe a little bit older or even a little bit younger uh think about it yeah i, I haven't gotten a chance to really talk to anyone about it yet who uh, because it's still the first weekend that it's out but i'd be yeah so i i'd be i went to uh i went to one of our board game one of the board game stores i go to meet playing with cats i i never met so i was the first time meeting them i was talking about it actually a lot of the players i was playing with who are really big nerds who love the book actually all three of the cats that i was playing with love the book they said they were not excited for the film and they're not going to go watch it mm. so that's three oh, out of nerd rage. i mean yeah it was i was i was nervous about the film but you know i mean understandable i mean i enjoyed it yeah. so oh before we wrap up uh, at least on this part i did we didn't we haven't mentioned the cast and i i do want to we mentioned simon Pegg briefly we went tj miller but kind of what did we think of wade watts samantha nolan uh um, ben mendelson who's like basically the bad guy now and everything and in particular uh mark rylance who now i believe this is his third spielberg movie he has done in in a couple years in four or five years uh as holiday uh i'll say this just real quick because i don't want to belabor this i thought the whole cast was fine i think people were kind of negging on uh what's his name ty sheridan or tay sheridan mm-hmm. uh un, un unfairly but overall i thought everyone was was just fine and i, I and this was one of the mark rylance performances that i i actually really really did enjoy because i thought he was overrated in bridge of spies and i thought bfg was ridiculous this role i thought really suited him well no i i really liked um i don't think there's anyone i really didn't like i actually really Really quite enjoyed Olivia Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Ty Sheridan did a fine job, especially as more as Wade than as Parsifal. I mean, like he kind of just looked the the kind of like nerdy, awkward, bad skin kid. Right. You know, like he 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 fit the part well enough that I was like, all right, I I can buy it. <laughs> then you're right, you're right. Mark Mark Rylance did a fantastic job as Halliday. I mean, like from everything like where, you know, he's barely able to make eye contact and, and all of that. Yeah. That yeah, was, I, that was I, well done. I, I think he did a great job. Uh, I really loved, I loved every, every second he was on screen. I actually loved looking at him. I was like, God, he, he's acting right now, but I believe him. I know, I know that that guy goes home and doesn't look at anybody in the eye. He doesn't even look himself in the mirror. Like, right. <laughs> like I, I really liked it. Yeah. There was, there was one part by, uh, how do you say, how do you say the main character's name? Part, part, uh, Parsival. Parsival. Uh, how do you say the actor's name? Ty Tay. I think Sheridan. it's Ty, Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan. It was at the end of the movie when he was talking to Simon Pegg. I, God, I hated that. I don't know what it was. Oh, Maybe it's just, yeah, it no, I know what you're referring to. And that's that's your typical Spielberg schlock that you just have to kind of get through. Like God, the, I, everyone's with the signs and they're cheering and they're, uh, there's the one-liners going back and forth and there's big close-ups of them smiling at each other. That's just typical Spielberg camp melodrama. You just have to survive. I, I, I chose to ignore that. That shit gets me so yeah, I know. I know. Russell, and I don't know why, because it's not harming anybody. It's not harming the movie. It's expected, but I it's expected for those characters who go through all that to to be kind of like happy at the end. But I don't know what it is, but that bothered me. And I, I think people are getting mad at him because he doesn't deliver those lines with like a genuineness. You could tell he's like, I'm reading from a script. Like, so yeah, I don't know. No, I know what you're talking about. And then I think they squandered the best actor in the entire movie. Who was Rolf? I don't even know how to say his last name. Inno son, innocent, insan. 
he was a guy from Witch. He was in the movie for like two seconds, and I was like, oh man, I love him. And then he died. I'm like, Damn it! Oh, oh the, the, uh, the 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 shitty boyfriend. Shitty yeah, the shitty boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, thanks for the boot, and then it explodes. I was like, well, I was hoping to see more from him, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so real quick, if we have time, I wanted to play this kind of game because I, wa I wanted to ch see what our nerd avatars or custom-built world would kind of look like. Because in the book, you know, you, they don't do this at all in the movie, but in the book, Parsifal kind of creates his own planet, has his own hideout, his own ships, his own AI. And Brooke and I were talking about this a little bit after the movie. I was just kind of curious uh, what you guys would have. So so first off, uh, Parsifal had a X-Wing fighter as kind of his personal space hot rod. Actually, no, I'll go back. He had, this was the other thing that was a little disappointed, is his car was the DeLorean. But in the book, he merged it with Kit from Knight Rider. No, that was, was there. Super, but I didn't see the, he didn't, I didn't hear the Kit voice or see the Kit uh, back and forth red or anything like that. Uh, the red was there. Was it? Okay, yeah. it was hard to see. I saw when, the DeLorean. When he when he pulls up to the stop right before King Kong, you can see it there. Mm. Okay. It's okay. a pseudo so, subtle it's super subtle really like so, detail. Yeah, it, yeah, it is, but it is there. For, it was hard to come by in details of it. So I'm curious, your your car, if you had a car to drive around the race oasis, what would it be? So um Andrew, you go first. Oh, I'm just car, curious. car. This one's actually a little bit more tough. I mean a DeLorean's always a good choice. Yep. Um or motorcycle, you know, whatever. And it could be from really anything. I could go for a light cycle from Tron. Those things were pretty bad. Oh, that is cool. Brooke, what about you? I was going to say the lights like <laughs> But if I have to pick a second choice, it's Ghost Rider's motorcycle. Ooh, Ghost that's a good Rider's one. motorcycle. Yeah. That's a good choice. So mine would be the last of the Ford Interceptors from Mad Max. Ooh. <laughs> you know another good one? That's... Another good one? What's that? Ecto-1. I was thinking Ecto One. When he said Ghost Rider, I thought he was going to say Ecto One. Ghost, yeah. But but yeah, Ecto One's a good one. Yeah, mine would have been the last of the Ford Interceptors. So that's a good. That's good. Uh, light cycle, two motorcycles in a car. Um, Parsifal had a X-wing fighter for his kind of uh, I guess zip around. If you had a fight, if you wanted a fighter, what would yours be? Uh, Brooke, you could start with that one. I don't know. Just skip me. I'll come back to it. All right, go ahead, Andrew. Uh, this one, this one, there's a lot of good choices, but I think I'd have to default to a Tie Interceptor. I'm always a fan of that one. Oh, okay, interesting. Tie so here's i'm i'm in the same wheelhouse as you however i would go with the tie defender from tie, tie fighter the video game yeah that one just, it's a little bit too busy for me there's there's a there's a, yeah. there's a vicious elegance to the uh to the interceptor i like yeah i, I agree i actually have a little tie from the from that um x-wing minis game i don't i the only thing i bought from it was the tie defender i like it i you're right it is very busy but it's that's um that's what attracts me to it also in the game it was bad ass this is true so that's, that's also kind of what i'm going on uh brooke would you, you kind of come up with something doesn't have to be I, star wars i would have to take something from the warhammer universe like something in the battlefleet gothic uh games because i can't think of anything but it would have to be something like that just something brutally scary and just beautiful to look at but horrifying if it gets close to you I think my yeah, uh, like a thunderhawk. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that, that's nice. My my runner up would have been a uh, colonial viper from Battlestar. Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking of the my runner up was those um kind of truncated X wings from Babylon Five, just because oh, okay. the turn rate on those things was ridiculous. Yeah, it was real. But you're you're upright the whole time, and it's it, I didn't want to do that. Um, I don't, right, I don't so, like standing that much. 
<laughs> so Parsifal had, um, I think he had the Serenity, and I forgot yep. what he named it. He named it the uh, Vonnegut, right? Yes. And Daito and Shoto, for their kind of mid-sized, was the Bebop named the Kurosawa, which was also another really good choice. So, Brooke, this is kind of where your Thunderhawk would fit in. Your Thunderhawk's more of like a mid-size, mm. but if you if you wanted a mid-size, this was a little bit tough because they kind of picked the good ones already. What would your mid-size yeah. Chip B. God, I have no idea. No idea. Yeah, give me. No idea. Yeah, yeah no prep time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of on the spot. So, what do you think, Andrew? Do you have, a, have an this, idea? This might be a little bit too big for a midsize. Uh, but Moya from Farscape. Ooh, yeah, that would be your ship. Yeah. What about I... what about Alan Farscape? He's more midsized. Yeah, yeah, and he's a little more aggressive. Very aggressive. I always liked Talon. See, I would see for me. I really liked the Outlaw Star from the from the anime. So long as Melfina comes with it, but the Bebop's really good. It doesn't have any guns. It doesn't defend itself, but it can carry three fighters, which I also liked. But I think push came to shove. I'd go with the Outlaw Star. Just one Melfina. Fina would have to come with it, and two, it has arms, and you could like punch other ships. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Uh, Brooke, do you have anything pop into your head? The only other ship that comes to my mind that I know I'd want is the 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 carrier from Robotech. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, the CVS 101 Prometheus. Oh, okay. That's the only other. Those are the only other things I would like want. Like, like, uh, yeah, that's it. So, so rounding out the ships, if you had to take your big ship with you, who would your what would your big ship be? Oh, that would be my big ship. Sorry. Oh, that would be your big. I ship. could I couldn't think of a mid. Couldn't think of a mid. Uh, if you think of one, it's fine. Uh, Andrew, would you big ship would be Moya? Yeah, Moya, not a big big ship. Probably a, sec, a runner up would probably be something like the Executor. Oh, go the, go, the go bigger, go home, motherfucker. Yeah, you're just going <laughs> gigantic. <laughs> I love it. Um, see, I would. I thought about that. I I, I, I also want Admiral Piet so I can berate him. <laughs> Kind of like, <laughs> I'll take the ship so long as he comes with it. Right. Uh, see, I won't go huge. I'll go big. I would take the uh, Vengeance from uh, Into Darkness. Because I think that ship is just gorgeous. And I can probably fit my TIE, my TIE Fighters in it and kind of use the outlaw star as the captain's yacht oh you're so talking you're I'm... talking about like you're talking the um the kelvin uh dreadnought yeah the kelvin intel uh, dreadnought from, yeah okay uh, Star Trek. i think I, I really didn't care for that movie but there are two things that were great chicken or underpants and that ship <laughs> i really love that ship tell you what tell you what I, I am i am also a fan of the discovery from from star trek discovery that was the the, oh, the, the yeah. ships in that, My the discovery, likes... the discovery and the Shenzo from that uh, that sh series were, were pretty cool. Yeah, they are cool. Brooke, you have any kind of follow up? You, you know what? The Super Galaxy Gurren Lagann from the film Gurren Lagann. It's a giant oh. ship. It's a giant ship that has an evil face in the front and two drills as propellers. Like <laughs> that's what that would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like on See, I was wondering, I was thinking Baruch was going to go with Battleship Yamato. I had money on you going with Battleship Yamato from the anime. Yamato? Yeah, uh, you, never watched, you never watched that anime? I thought you would have no. gone with that one. No, why does it not ring a bell? I'm going to look oh, it up. Google it real quick. Just yeah, do you, Battleship I'm, I'm Yamato surprised on... That, you, that you're un, at least unfamiliar with that one. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah tell I, you, I, I didn't. I, I, if you've got like uh, any options, like there are just so many good ones. Oh yeah, I think yeah. The, the superstar. I thought about that, but it was like that was way too big. I was like, I'm just gonna get lost and lonely on my own ship. <laughs> so, so they at one point in the book, they each get a choice of a giant robot. Uh, the Iron Giant was one of them. Gigantor was one of them. Jet Jaguar was. 
So if you wanted a, either a Gundam or a, a giant robot, and I don't think Ultraman counts because I think Ultraman was just a beta capsule. So yeah, he's kind of yeah. Separate. Ultraman was diff was separate from that. Yeah. So if you wanted a big robot, big honking robot, what? I want to go brute first because come on, you've had to have thought of a big honking robot for yourself. Big honking robot for myself? Yeah. Oh my god, dude. There's so many I, of them. There's so many good ones, but you get a cron. No, it's on Friday and I told him that he cheated. <laughs> That's the biggest robot of all. Behold, this dismemberment as he smashes into the planet. Oh, God, Unicron, 100%. You nailed it that time. I mean, especially, especially if he comes with the, the Orson Welles voice. voice yeah. yeah, if it doesn't come with that, no, I don't want it. Okay. <laughs> I, figured, I figured he was going to go with, like, you know, uh, Starscream or something, like a reasonably sized uh, giant robot. Sized? No, because Starscream's, right. Starscream's a bitch. Yeah, he's a chump, dog. <laughs> Optimus Prime in the movies beats him with his own arm. That was, like, a cool moment, and then they, they, he just gives his arm back. I'm like, that's... Get hit him again, damn it. You know what? Uh, there's a there's a Transformer uh, Devastator, the classic comic book Devastator. Oh, that's, like, that's a good no, one. He's a big. He's five giant Transformers pieced together, and he just just destroys everything. I do he's... love the sequence in the book where you you see the five robots that make up Voltron, and they get housed so fast they couldn't make Voltron. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's one of those things where like everyone realizes what's going on, and they're like, "Well, that's what we're shooting at now." Yep. <laughs> uh what about you andrew you have a choice for a robot uh i've got a couple um, yeah this was a tough this this is a tough one um i'll probably go with uh with char zaku from from mobile suit gundam uh mobile suit gundam wing or Mobile Suit Gundam. The original series. Yep, the original series. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, probably a second a second choice on that one would be, like, the original Megazord. Because, fuck, man, I was Ooh. a Power Rangers fan as a oh, kid. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, that's too. Good, so, I had a hard time with this. So, I had a hard time with this one because I had, like, a bunch of runner-ups and, like... I had a I had a list of them. I had the 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 the, the Green Power Rangers Dragon Zord, whatever that was. <laughs> was that called Dragon Zord? I yeah. thought that was no, great. Yep, yeah, yeah, that was Dragon yeah. Zord. Um, they mentioned Gigantor. I loved Gigantor when I was in middle school. Like every morning at eight o'clock or seven thirty or something like that, Sci-Fi Channel would run reruns of Gigantor. But in order to get to school on time, I had to miss the last five minutes of every episode. Oh. So I had no idea. So, but what was what was like? So I had no idea how the episode ended. I would only find out how the episode ended because Sci-Fi Channel ran them in order. So I would watch it, go to school, wait till the next morning, and they do the recap. And I was like, oh, that's how it ended. <laughs> nice. So Gigantor was the other one, and then and then it was a toss-up between uh, Heavy Arms from Gundam Wing, but Heavy Arms from the movie Endless Waltz. Who had the eight Gatling guns, like four <laughs> in his chest and four and two on each arm? I have that model almost built, I... almost finished. Huh? I have I almost have that finished. I have that Gundam model. My uh, my brother-in-law got it for me for Christmas, and I've got it almost finished. I I love that design because there's that sequence in the movie where he just kind of squats down and fires all eight guns at once. <laughs> and I was like, oh. But I think I have to settle on for all for good all around use with with big weaponry, close combat, flight. It's it's zero one from Gundam Wing. I think zero one's the best all around uh robot, big honking robot you can have. But the zero one 
from Endless Waltz because he had the the wings were actually actually looked like feathers, which I thought was pretty freaking cool. Uh, that was a tough one. So last couple, last one I can think of. Uh, Parsifal had like his own planet, like a little asteroid. <laughs> um, this is where Baruch thought he would take Unicron, which I still think is cheating. But if you had your own planet or space station, I would I, I would say space station could be could go, kind of go into this or little asteroid or something like that. Kind of this is like your planet slash space station slash moon slash not a space station or slash not a moon not a space station. <laughs> uh, what what would your what would your kind of I guess your headquarters that's what I'm trying to get at is what's your what's your headquarters who's going first ah, either, either one of you I mean, I'll go first I keep I keep going last I would take the the space fortresses from Warhammer 40k because <laughs> I just want lots of like that was say like yeah, the not, uh, the Imperial fists or the the Black Templars yep. fortress yeah 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 those big fortresses that just ton, not the Blackstone fortress Fortress because someone could turn it on me and it would kill me <laughs> yeah that didn't go but, well no it doesn't go well so i would take those big star fortresses uh just because because in the book i was surprised that no one went gunning for parsifal and i would imagine i th- i would have thought people would have done it and in 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 my world i would imagine people if i got the first key would gun for me so i would want about as many weapons as i could put up in the sky to, to dissuade uh would-be assassins yeah. Uh, uh, Andrew, go ahead. I would go with like late Dominion War era DS9. Yeah, I knew you were going to go with DS9. I That's love a great that show. And I love that show. Like, yes. I, I'm, I'm literally like, I've been watching the last like dozen episodes like the last week and I'm like, yeah, I love this show. See, I have a book. I have a boring answer. I was actually going to try to go for something for the the Warhammer universe again, but the Space Marines' uh, homeworld, uh, not their homeworld. They had, I was playing uh, Battlefield Gothic last night, and one of the planets I I harvested as the Oryx was uh, I forget the name of it, but it was just it just had the giant like uh, eagle on it, and there was just guns pointing straight up in every direction. Like I want that planet. That's that's that my the Dark Angels' homeworld. I think maybe I don't know. No, because no, because the Dark Angels' homeworld is like toast. It's like debris. Oh, that's right. It's like a citadel on a chunk of a planet. Yeah. Anyways, that, is, is he I, talking I about? Is he talking about like the Ultramarines homeworld? Are you trying to be an Ultra Smurf? You fucking ah! <laughs> I'm gonna have to beat you. Now I'm gonna have to beat him with it. I'm gonna have to beat Baruch with his own own arm now. (laughs) Oh yeah. So hold on. I forgot the AI. So in the book, Parsifal has um, Max from. Oh shit. What was that from? It was the AI that would stutter all the time. And I used to watch that show when I was a kid. Oh shoot. But his AI was. um, I I know. I knew him as Max, and I can't remember that. But if you want an AI for your ship, for your home worlds, or just your AI that would follow you around, I you know, there's a lot of good choices. There's uh, the one from Avengers. What was it? What's the one from Avengers name? Jarvis. Jarvis. There's Gideon from Bla- uh, Outlaw Star. Of course, there's the computer from Star Trek, voiced by uh, Michael Barrett. Um, what kind of AI would you like to have helping you out? Uh, I, I, I'll go first. I would actually go with Gideon from Outlaw Star. I, I, he had that kind of nondescript British-ish accent, and he was also a bit of a smartass. Yeah, I, See, I, I uh, think I'm... Go ahead, Brooke. What's that? I think I'm boring because I, I would want Teletran 2 from the Transformer series. It's a computer program and she has like a beautiful voice and all she does is keep track of every battle that's going on in, in space. She's trying to pinpoint exactly what's happening so you're always locked into every fight. I, I want that. Yeah, it's boring. I think I'd go with, with Jarvis, but as a if that's kind of a runner-up if I couldn't just get like an AI of Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> I'm <really good. laughs> yeah, and then I, I guess kind of lastly... 
if you could design your avatar or, or what you generally want your avatar to look like, uh, mine would kind of be a, a, a blue-haired, blue-bearded version of Trey's Kush Renata from Gundam Wing with <laughs> with lo- with uh, a lot of six shooters, <laughs> like kind of like uh, kind of like Clint Eastwood. What kind of like what would your guy sort of look like or girl if you wanted to be a girl? I mean, I think in general, I'd I, 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 it'd look kind of like me, except like you know, seventy-five pounds lighter and in a lot better shape. <laughs> I would definitely have like the freaking Buster Sword though from Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> yeah. Like I would just I would I would smack people around with a giant sword that is no practical use. <laughs> That's a really and, good choice. And I would probably walk around with an erection while doing it. <laughs> it was like from from Anchorman. Don't act like you're not impressed. <laughs> oh God. Do you have any, pick... have any ideas what your look like? Dude, you armed with? You already know what I would be. I'd be some kind of cybernetic skeleton with. <laughs> With just you a skeleton. T eight hundred. Yeah, I kind of be something like that. And the every cowboy. bullet I, sh- <laughs> every bullet I shot out of my gun would have a little skull face on it that was screaming. I, I somehow I knew you were gonna say a scream. Like as soon as you said something, like it's gonna scream. Yeah. Well, basically, everything in Baruch's world screams all the time. Yeah, a horrendous like if, sound. If he I, had I, his I own wanted... little planet, it would orbit the screaming sun from Rick and Morty. Yeah, I was gonna say I wanted to like scream awkwardly like that sun though. Yeah. Oh okay, yeah, it's not terrifying. It just. <laughs> All right, so I guess slow move. That, that was it for me. I was just kind of curious. No, that was what kind of world we. That was that was fun. Did you have any? Did I miss anything? I don't think I missed. I don't it. think so. Oh, okay. All right, so yeah, that's it for me. All right, all right, folks. <laughs> if you like what we do, make sure you head over to thereforegeek.com. You can check out our pog. Our... Our blog our posts and our podcasts. If you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Burr, burr, burr. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Joe, and I'm Baruch, and you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.